You are listening to Our Urban Voices with Dr. Alphonse Javed, a podcast that presents Christian narratives through diverse voices that impact urban ministry. Here is your host. In this podcast, we cover everything from churches and church planting efforts, mission and missions organization evangelism, and unreached people groups, emerging movements and initiatives, justice, current events related to faith, and the persecutors too, author interviews, and more. Let's get to it. Thank you so much for being here with me. I'm so glad that you were able to... uh, be here and uh, talk to me and I'm going to let you introduce yourself but let me start by saying this thank you so much and uh, uh, I appreciate your ministry in New York City and our partnership uh, here in uh, in the work of the Lord so why don't you take a moment and introduce yourself let the audience know who you are what you've been doing and what some of your future plans are go ahead brother Thank you, Dr. Javed. Thank you again for inviting me to be able to chat and share a little bit of my journey in life here in New York City. Um, I am a pastor here in New York City. I've been serving in church planting, pastoring churches, starting and leading nonprofit ministries for over 25 years. I am happily married with my wife, Victoria, who happens to be a professional marriage, family, and sex therapist here in New York City. And I have three children. I have uh, my oldest daughter, Sophia, 20 years old, my middle boy, Luciano, who's 16, and my little one, Layla, who is 12 years old. Uh, I have been serving in New York City uh, as a minister of the gospel in various forms. And uh, one of the greatest privileges that I have is the privilege of position. Living in a city like this is just an incredible opportunity to be able to understand the changes of time and what God is doing. And as many people have said, you know, many look to New York City as a place for leading in commerce or in sports or in fashion or in art. And many people have forgotten that New York City also gives us a privileged position to be able to represent the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, I've always said that New York City is like Babylon. We live in a very secularized, pluralistic, postmodern society that has been, you know, for the longest time, uh, as far as I can remember, always pushing the boundaries of what morality, culture, fashion, politics uh, involves. Um, I am uh, particularly excited to be able to be in this season uh, of the challenges that we're facing due to the fact that I think God is sovereign in allowing my life and the life of many of my counter uh, parts of of friends and and brothers in Christ and sisters in Christ, co-laborers, to actually be a remnant of faithful Christians, what we call resilient disciples, to be in New York City during this time of a very, very tense situation, both in health, both in the uh, racial and justice uh, topics, as well as the political arena, as well as the most recent, the economic uh, break, uh, 
broken system that we live in at, at this moment in America. So I find myself in this little tension of living in a, in a secular city and desiring to see God do amazing work for redeeming people and saving people and working with them in a holistic manner where the spiritual health of them is renewed by the conversion of their soul and trusting in Jesus Christ, uh, their mind, their mental capacity is renewed by them being able to see that God can heal the mind and provide ways in which our paradigm of thinking shifts, as well as the physical aspect of it, you know, being healthy, eating healthy and making sure that you watch, you know, what you put into your body and you become a good steward of that temple that God has given us, your exercise. And this is something that's very trendy in New York City, just having great, great physique and being healthy. So we call that a thriving holistic person that uh, looks to really be complete in its ways of seeing God's nature and God's, uh, God's working and redeeming in us. So those are some of the things that I've been able to, to, to witness and participate in at this moment. Yeah, I also heard something on the background. So just wanted to let you know, audience, uh, we are not in a studio together. Um, Walter is uh, recording this from home. So as we know, and this is being recorded during pandemic. So you know uh, what goes on in homes. So, but let me get back to you. were talking about redeeming uh, the word itself, redeeming. And you are you use this word uh, um uh, frequently in your introduction to, and it just reminded me your work with the, even uh, Pastor Keller, the, uh, the founder of uh, Redeemer Presbyterian in New York City. Um, how, how do you see New York City after um, that's such a huge speaker not being a regular pastor, so when he retired. So how do you see the city now? Because he had this presence, his uh, you know, day in, day out, he's encouraging people, and you've been around, you have seen many other church planters coming in under his leadership, starting mm -hmm. things. So walk us through your experience, um, especially now, when uh, he is not the chief, uh, uh, you know, person or the main pastor of the church, and has been the way Redeemer has uh, uh, become um, since then. Yes, I've had the privilege to be under the teaching and instruction of Pastor Tim Keller as early as of 2000, and 2000 when they first began their church planting network, um, and during that time. The vision that he was casting, which is the vision that we've seen unfold, is that God was utilizing church planting as the foremost effective method of bringing evangelization into a city that is like ours, New York City. And over the course of the last 21 years, I have observed, whether it's an intimate training with him at the fellows program that he's done or participating in even planting a church that is the Presbyterian Church and working with many others that have planted and planting myself, you know, churches that are trying to be the city on the hill, or they are looking to be the city on the hill within a community. What we have seen, and I think what we have seen is that his voice was a voice of leadership in the, the 
the landscape of many voices. And his voice was one that anchored those that listen into a very gospel center truth. He never compromised on evangelization. He never compromised on the word of God. He did not compromise on teaching leadership and most, most uh, specifically pastoral leadership. And I think that, that his role served as a great role in ministry. I remember being with him early 2006, 2007, and it was a very intimate meeting with himself and uh, two or three other pastors. And I asked him for a prayer request. I asked the pastor, Tim Keller, I said, what would you like me to pray for, for your life? And I remember him stopping and saying, I like to pray that in the next 20 years of my life, I will be able to one, train as many men to be pastors in New York City. And that's where he switched his role to, to be able to develop men and to teach men to pastor in churches and to lead what we call city-driven, you know, city center churches that are that are gospel center. Uh, and this is understanding that we have probably the greatest opportunity in history right now to be able to really shine against the backdrop of the darkness and the confusion and the the entangling that is present in our society. So when it comes to redeeming, I believe that first and foremost, as we see in the New Testament, God will always redeem a person and he will send that person, commission that person into a city or a village or a town or a region to be able to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, to make the announcement of the facts, the promises, the results of the gospel in a manner where it's effective using whatever mediums they can. In our, in our society today, we could use technology like we're doing now, or we could use you know, the proclaiming in the churches with the speaking of it. But you also uh, are seeing that God is sending that individual to share the gospel with their own experience. And I think this is what Pastor Keller did so well that he understood that he came to know Christ and he was driven through enlightening the, the, the mind of a, a, a very bright man, but not making him prouder, but making him humbler. And the gospel results were evident and had been evident in his life. So you could see the redemption of that. And, and today we have multiple uh, churches that are Redeemer Presbyterian Church here in New York City, and each of them is being pastored by local pastors in their community instead of the, the mega uh, model of church when one speaker speaks and is televised to every one of those churches. So in his prayer, he really did ask for a very humble, influential position for the next 20 years, and we're seeing that happen in the city. That's wonderful. So you, we, we, since we're talking about church planting and you have done that personally, you have uh, um, been involved in church planting. And uh, uh, so is it is it hard to plant a church in New York City? One. Two, is it hard to maintain a church plant? And three, is it hard to give birth to an, 
a new church church plan or you can compare three of those my question and which is harder yeah i think i think if i could refrain to use the word hard that adjective kind of gives the sense of solid and and almost unbreakable concrete rock like quality i think church planting is not necessarily hard it's probably challenging that's probably the best word i've used because during the first season that i started planting the church in the year 2011 our first church uh, i remember the energy and the momentum and moving forward to be able to really raise the funding raise the core group of leaders that we were going to be able to train and then figuring out the particular demographic of location that we wanted to be able to be planted into uh, as a as a local new yorker uh favor and experience was on my side in since that i had already pastored a local church and i was a new yorker so my adaptation time my settling time into a new culture it really didn't take long at all but what the challenge was was to be able to really see that the core group understood the vision and they were actually following the vision of Jesus Christ that was the most challenging thing i think i think that to javed most of us assume that everybody on the team is on the team and is going to follow you and i say this i say this with careful thought whom you love you will follow and what you love you will follow this is this is probably the most forgotten command of Jesus Christ follow me and what i understood in my first church planting was that for a while the core group that i had as missions are uh, uh, of of church planting this this group of maybe 6 7 different people they loved Jesus Christ and then they began to love the vision and the enthusiastic idea of starting something new and soon enough it developed in some of their hearts as an endeavor instead of following the lord and that was the difficult part challenging sin started to be crouching at the door of people and as a matter of fact during that time in my first church plant i was really broken hearted when i found out that sin had crept into the hearts of two two couples and sin had just destroyed their marriages and the unfortunate thing was that they would not see that following Jesus was more important than trying to do something for Jesus. Then my second plant of churches, I planted three churches in New York City. The second plant of churches was a little different. It was finding the location and then God provided an individual that wanted to plant this Spanish speaking church and I just basically trained them, mentored him and helped him and support him and that church flourished and has grown and as a matter of fact right now it's integrated into another congregation and so merging of two bodies of of churches happened where where one that is new and has a lot of energy and enthusiasm and another one that's a little bit older now all of a sudden come together and the synergetic or or exponential excitement grows even more and my last church planting experience was this one with uh uptown community church and redeemer presbyterian a granddaughter of redeemer presbyterian church and what i found in this particular church planting experience was also challenging to be able to fit the personality 
of my life into the personality of a body of believers. One of the things that we forget is that we all are sheep. We forget that even the under shepherds are sheep and we are stubborn. We are difficult to lead. We sometimes find ourselves to be very arrogant and prideful. And from my perspective, my life, I found myself growing in this last third church plant incredibly more. The Lord just humbled my heart. It allowed me to work with another pastor that had a completely different personality than I had. And he worked slower than I did. He was not as, uh, as, as fast. I would describe myself as a, a racehorse that is just ready to go, open the gate, ready to go, go do ministry, get going. And he was more like a walking a turtle, like just very patient, very compassionate, calculated, uh, reserved in his speaking. He would not put his foot in his mouth. And the Lord paired us together. And I tell you, uh, it was one of the most formational times in my life. Having this physical proximity to a brother that was different than I am taught me to be able to really practice what Jesus said about following him, which was this, make sure that you love one another. In following me, you have to love one another. See, we, we, we like to think that we could choose the sheep that we include into our congregation, that we could handpick them. But the Lord says that he is the great shepherd and that he picks whom he wants to save, that we're really just bringing in the nets after the fish have been caught. He tells us when to cast the nets, where to cast them, and when to pull them. And all we're doing is bring them in into from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. So this, this formational time in my last experience of church planting here in New York City, it taught me incredible things about my life that I needed to become a peacemaker instead of just a, a warrior, take the hill for Jesus kind of thing. And let, that changed my personality quite a bit. Yeah. So let me take this comment you like last comment you made again, your you know, peacemaker rather than a warrior, right? So um, and you know that, and I'm I'm switching the conversation. I know that we were talking about in the context of uh, church planting and humility, and when the Lord puts that call on you, and all those, uh, and and I agree, this beautiful how you you shared your life and your experience through these uh, uh, learning and formation experience through these church plants. But let me switch the conversation by emphasizing on the last phrase you 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 use. Uh, peacemakers and not mm -hmm. just warriors. And I'm, 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 I want to speak into the, uh, into the issue that our city has been dealing with forever. But in the last year, it has become one of the driving force here in the city and around the uh, nation and the world. And that is uh, after George Floyd's uh, uh, merciless, uh, you know, uh, murder. Um, it, our city. Uh, grew into this, uh, uh, you know, mode, I guess, and mm -hmm. back to that, you know, civil right movement, but mostly it was younger people. It was not, I mean, the mm -hmm. initiative was led by younger people. Same thing I hear all the time from almost every church, every believer that where are the young, where are our young people? Why don't we see younger people in our churches? Where are the millennials? Where are the, where's the youth or the young adults? So, but yet we saw in New York, day in, day out, we saw every day, we saw these uh, young people leading this uh, um, 
this initiative, right? So help me and our audience with this uh, and apply this idea of a peacemaker call mm-hmm. to be peacemaker rather than warriors. Uh, yes. Apply that to the situation that we are going through as as especially as believers, but most importantly, as pastor, how can we be peacemaker? So you and I are not, not Caucasians. So um, that helps because it's easy to identify with those who are um, oppressed, right? Or who are on the receiving end of uh, some sort of racial uh, injustice. Um, oh. But, but, at the same time, majority America is evangelical church is led by or uh, mostly um, is Caucasian. We're talking about Caucasian churches. So help us, those who are hearing us as brothers in Christ, if they want to hear from you this idea of peacemaker and they have heard the news, they have seen all of this, they have seen the images. I live in Midtown Manhattan. I was talking to yesterday with the uh, another brother who is a African-American pastor in Harlem with a Assemblies of God church, one of the largest church. If I, if I name the church, you will know exactly which church I'm talking about. Um, but the point I was sharing with him was that, I, 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 you know, we're talking about urban, urban voices. So there were those voices right here in my, t- my vicinity, uh, which is Midtown Manhattan, where people boarded up their restaurants, boarded up their businesses, yeah. and uh, they left town. Uh, I'm, and I'm talking about majority that this midtown Manhattan is majority, the, at least where I live, is majority uh, Caucasians, right? So they just left left, left this uh, city. Um, and uh, But they are part of this city. Many are born here. Their children are born here. Um, so I, And then we have this pandemic, Pandemic is pandemic, but when then we have the issue of homelessness, which has uh, grown even more, right? So and I was sharing in an, another episode uh, of this uh, season that uh, right below my house um, mm-hmm. is is a beautiful hotel that they convert into a a a, a shelter, shelter, homeless shelter for men, and then across from my house, my apartment, you can see from my window, New York City Center. And uh, next to city center, a couple uh, shops down is, like a couple businesses down is the ho- another hotel um, on the corner of uh, 7th Avenue. And it's like almost a half a block yeah. hotel. They also turn into a shelter. So the community is also, at least in my vicinity, the urban mm-hmm. voices are, yeah. why? Why do we have these? So they they are not... They are not liking these protests. They are not liking, uh, uh, they, they, I, I mean, none of them, at least the conversations I had, none of them uh, uh, disagreeing with racial injustice, disagreeing with the, uh, the issue that uh, um, our country has been dealing with forever, that is uh, marginalizing uh, uh, certain communities, ethnic communities. So they're not disagreeing with those, but at the same time, they're raising voice about uh, their property value being uh, going down and the homelessness growing and these hotels yes. being turned into this. And then top of that business, Businesses are afraid to come back, even if they have the opportunity and these protests are going on. Now, back to you. The yes. idea of peacemaker, not yes. warrior. I, I, I think that I think that is uh, it's a 
issue of understanding both what we call the form as well as the presence. So in every segment of population, there's going to be issues that in our society raise anger, raise bitterness, awakens disgust, awakens a sense of wanting to fight for, uh, especially in our very polarized, polarized uh, world of politics, where as if you think right now, our current president, President Joe Biden, it's very silent when it comes to communicating what's going on. In contrast to our previous president, President Donald Trump, who was very boisterous about what is happening in every day. And that ethos is moved and created by conversation and ideologies and opinions and facts and journalism and all the different things. It begins, peacemaking begins with the transformation of an individual. And I, I have to remember that it was the Lord Jesus Christ who said to us in the Beatitudes in Matthew that we have to be both blessed in the pure in heart, blessed are the pure in heart, and those that are blessed with the pure in heart will have a vision of God over things. So perspective of the heart has to be the perspective that God is bringing, and my heart as an individual needs to be transformed. So that will go back to the word redeemed. I have to be redeemed out of my self-centeredness. I have to be redeemed out of my self-interest. I have to be redeemed out of my self-indulgences. And then he says there, blessed are the peacemakers because they're seeking to offer peace to a world that is hostile. And when Christ makes a peacemaker, he brings in this perspective of change through God ministering to the human being. So one of the most critical examples is how the church advanced. In Acts chapter 10, we find the story of Peter and Peter going through Caesarea to a house of a, a secular person named Cornelius. And the interesting part is that the Lord had to be able to convince Peter that he could actually share the gospel to a secular person because the gospel had been stayed in the part of Judea and with the, the Jewish people as a, as a dysphoria of, of Judaism uh, for the last 10 years. And God had just saved in chapter nine, Paul. And Peter still had this, this tension of racial on reconciliation in his heart. He did not want to eat out of that vision. He didn't want to be able to have what God had called good and clean, not make it common. And it was, it was this, this idea of allowing God to bring in the door. So when the racial uh, situations happened and these situations were violent and they were provoked by the injustices that some law enforcement had done on the lives of people that they could have been alive, they could have been treated in a different manner. The, the sense of anger and the sense of, of disgust became lit and it became 
something to to the the, the picture of a a big cry that not one person could comprehend and it exploded in what we call the 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 riots and that's why many of the people that you were referring to in midtown uh boarded their businesses and fled because we suffered uh, in the sense of the city as a collective the extremes of having everybody we're in it together with the pandemic kind of thing and then all of a sudden we're not in it together because we want to be able to attack those that are considered quote unquote racist or prejudice right and and obviously that's an assumption that we're making for every individual that is of one ethnicity we can't say that everybody is going to be a racist just because of the skin color or someone is going to be treated in a certain way because of their skin color and preferences so we make a lot a lot many pre-assumptions that maybe at times are wrong so for me, the transformation happened when I understood, first and foremost, that I am a Christian. I am a believer in Christ. I follow Jesus Christ. There, after that, I am a male, Hispanic, Latino, born, bred, Colombian. So if you're going to speak evil of my race, my understanding of this race is that my race in its form, it's part of my identity, but it's not my entire identity. And I'm not trying to uh, unhinge myself. I'm, what I'm saying is that there is a, a second layer, or if I could say a primary layer of identity, and that is I am a follower of Christ. And there God calls me to be able to love the world, both the non-Christians, those that don't believe, to or adhere to the, the creeds that I adhere to, that I give my life to, as well as those that do. And regardless of race, color, ethnicity, height, you know, preferences in the way in they're thinking, I need to be able to love. But this goes back to the love of Christ. It goes to how do you love yourself? And, and I think this is where I've learned over the years to see God use me more of a peacemaker now so when it comes to this discussion i think feelings and you know facts as well as many many suffering goes into it but it needs to be addressed in a manner where we examine our hearts first because if i participate in some type of uh protest or something that calls for the justice to take place what happens is that many a times the the combined emotion or feeling is not my shared feeling, my inner inner feeling. So I'm in I'm in a, in a conflicting situation, and most of us, as you know, uh, Dr. Javet, when we get involved in a particular environment of a feeling that's dominating, whether it is anger, bitterness, and I'm not saying that they are not truly angry. I'm saying people that were angry are angry, but maybe their actions of you know, breaking uh, into stores and stealing things and breaking, those are not correct actions that match their feelings. Their feelings are being expressed in a, in a, in a violent way, not in a correct way. And, and who am I to control their emotion? You know, there's no one that can control the emotions and the actions of any man, only God. So 
for me to be able to say they're doing wrong, I can say it in a manner where I can say, okay, I see that they're breaking into a business. And of course, the business owners are going to be like, well, what's happening? It's interesting enough that in our neighborhood, in Washington Heights, where I pastor, when the, the disruptions and the protests were breaking up um, the, the normalcy of life, and you got to remember this just to give context to our hearers, our listeners, we were all in what we call house uh, precedent. We weren't allowed to go outside. And then all of a sudden, when this took place, crowds went outside and they engage in, in togetherness. It was almost as, as a breath of, of fresh air for people to be outside. And in our neighborhood, the young men, listen to this, the young men of our neighborhood in Washington Heights literally marched through the streets protecting the small business owners, their, their property <laughs> wow. and their businesses, yeah. telling the crowds so awesome. not to break into or break the wall. So there is... There is an evidence of peacemaking in this right. at the same time of being able to proclaim the injustice and cry for injustice on behalf of those that are, you know, victims of that or victims mm -hmm. of, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I, I would say, you know, they've suffered the consequences mm -hmm. of of someone being unjust uh, in their treatment. Mm -hmm. Now, downtown was different. My brother-in-law works right there and he manages some of the buildings right on what we call Billionaire Row, which you know you're familiar with. And I remember him telling me that what he realized is that they were not, some of the crowds were not really trying to make protests. They were actually trying to, to steal. They were stealing. They were plotting to steal merchandise so they could resell it. There were videos that went on. And this is not the majority of people. Obviously, these are just some of the highlights of what's taking place. But what we see is, is this, that the condition of man, the greatest, the longest human emergency that has been running in the world is not health, is not injustice or racism, it's actually sin. Sin <laughs> is the longest running human emergency. Dr. Cornelius Plantiga was the one that quoted this and said this. And it is so true. Our sin is what completely derails us from following Jesus Christ. Our sin is what keeps us bound and weighted down as non-Christians, attempting to reach for justice and perfection and, and love and peace and grasping at the air. And this is where Jesus comes in. Jesus says, I want to come into your life. I want to be not just your savior. I want to be your Lord. I want to be the one that tells you, directs you, uh, loves you, lifts you, protects you. You must follow me. Take up your cross. Amen. Follow me. It's a call that, that sounds mm -hmm. difficult to understand in our modern culture, but it is the most wise call of any human being has ever made to another human being speaking of the lord's humanity and it is the greatest call that god could have ever made god in the flesh jesus christ to humanity follow me if you choose to keep your life you will lose it if you lose your life if you hand your life over to me you will save it you will keep it and wow. this is the beautiful part in my heart you you exactly. see now you are showing your evangelist heart even though it's a podcast you are making sure those who are listening to this podcast if they are unsaved they hear the gospel message very clearly so i appreciate that too it's um it's very that's missional life right 
missional life yeah. in action. So any opportunity you get that shows your heart that you are always uh, sharing the gospel. Again, being a peacemaker between God and uh, man, um, Jesus demonstrated, right? He, yes. he offered the same gospel to everybody. So as we close, and uh, we did discuss some of the very complicated issues in New York City and in any urban city. Uh, there's poverty, there is injustice, there's corruption. There's always going to be people who are uh, thinking about looting and uh, taking advantage of any situation to make uh, extra buck. Uh, but then that should never, ever, ever reflect on uh, the majority. Just the way we've been talking about uh, the police, it's not that all policing and police is bad. There are few that makes right. the police look bad. And you and I both have uh, great admiration. You have worked year after year with the uh, NYPD here, especially back in uh, 2001 after the, uh, you know, uh, Twin Towers and after the 9-11 attacks. So appreciate your ministry, brother, and we'll continue to pray for you. But as we close, tell me a joke. <laughs> tell you a joke. Um, wow. You caught me off guard on that one. That's I didn't see that one coming. That's you see how that's, sneaky I am? It's on me, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, you didn't catch me on that, on that, uh, I'm prepared for that. Um, you know, I think, I think this is, this is a critical time in, in life. Uh, I'm going to turn it into not a, so much of a joke, but more of a calling location, location, location. It's what real estate individuals tell you when you're going to purchase a home or apartment land location, 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 every city right now, every city. In, in, in this America is fighting to be able to survive, to overcome the situations and challenges that we're facing. And in every city, God has already planted a city on a hill. And my greatest prayer is this, my brother, is the prayer of Jesus Christ on John chapter 17. I will love to see the unity of the body of Christ in the city to a, to a level that we have not seen, where it's observable, where we have, we have agreed to common theological denominators that we, we, we agree to, that we have agreed to missional goals as well, to be able to reach people, and that we truly, truly love one another. We are so different. God has chosen his sheep. I cannot say this enough. God has shown himself to be mighty savior, redeemer, great shepherd, and he saves whom he wishes, and he puts him into his pan of, of guarding. And he says, I will teach you. You got to love both the Thomases and the Nathaniels. You got to love the, the Thomas that is wanting to have proof and facts for everything. Unless I put my finger in the hand of Jesus or on the side of Jesus, I will not believe. And then you have a Nathaniel that basically when he meets Jesus and Jesus tells him, I saw you under the tree, he just cries out, oh, my king, my God, and believes him immediately. So we have those extremes in the church, but we also have the Peters and the Johns, you know, Peter, like Rocky, pushing his way through on things, being stubborn, disobedient, denying the Lord. And then you have John who is described himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Then you have the women 
Mary Magdalene, you have prostitutes, you have women that were adulterers, you have the mother of Jesus, Mary, you have other women that follow Jesus Christ, like Martha and Mary, who served Jesus and provided resources. The church is composed of the most beautiful ethnic group there is, the multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-glossal mm-hmm. group, all bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the city on a hill. So, so you see, you're trying to dodge my my sneaky I movement did, my here, man. I, I don't have so, a joke. I, yeah. I, I so so I'm gonna get back to the joke. Very, also, very part of the part, part of the makeup of uh, the church is you do have uh, uh, folks who can tell jokes, who can sing too. So if you can't tell me a joke, you gotta sing for me. <laughs> you you're throwing you're throwing darts at me, brother. I don't know, man. I cannot sing. I How about sing, sing a um, doxology in Spanish? I cannot sing. No way. Brother. Nothing. You can't wrong, sing. Brother, these are not gifts. These are not talents that I have. No, no hip hop. I can draw. I can paint. I can write. I can speak. I can sleep really well and I can eat very well. This is what I'm going to say. We got to go out to eat. That's what I have to say. <laughs> All right. New York City has some great food and we need to go out to eat. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. And uh, um, and as always, uh, please uh, tune, in for, tune in for the next uh, episode. We're looking forward to hearing the next uh, uh, speaker. Thank you. Until then, God bless you all. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Our Urban Voices with Dr. Alphonse Javed, which presents Christian narratives through diverse voices that impact urban ministry. Please check back for new episodes every week.